Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Decode Your Burnout with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And this week, we have the amazing Regina Rosa Celeste. Regina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Sharon. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. And so for those of you who don't know Regina, um, she is an international speaker, a bestselling author, a mindset coach and recovering perfectionist. We're going to get into that, I'm sure. Uh, Regina teaches tools of mindfulness and stress management. People often refer to her as the internal peace revolutionist. Conscious-minded entrepreneurs hire her to support them in releasing anxiety and overwhelm so that they can live passionate, purposeful, and peaceful lives. The tools she shares create lasting transformation, and she works with people on a deep level to help them create results that stick. Through this work, she's helped thousands globally to live with more joy and less stress. Changing the way the world experiences peace, she equips her clients and students to empower themselves for lasting change. Regina believes that by creating more inner peace in the world, there is more abundance, more wealth, greater health, and deeper connection to each individual's life mission and purpose, creating sustainable world peace. Wow, that is quite a mission. It is. I agree. Yeah, and I'm, sure that, I'm sure that you weren't always so tuned into this stuff. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, you are a uh, recovering perfectionist. So I would love to have you start us off by telling us about your burnout story and how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to confess this month, I felt extreme burnout. And I am so grateful that I'm on here today because even this morning when I realized, um, actually yesterday when I looked at my schedule and I knew I was speaking with you today and then just stuff flooding in and, and kind of over, not analyzing, but questioning, am I doing too much mm. showed up this morning. And it was so beautiful because what better person to talk to today than yourself, right? And, and to have this conversation. So I'm really grateful that I'm in this space of awareness around burnout and around the conversation of what it is and how to prevent it, because it's very, uh, I think, number one, it's really important that humanity understands it's not a joke 
And it actually, I believe, is the number one stressor that actually kills most people because one out of four people actually dies of heart disease. So one out of four, that means a family, husband and wife with two kids or, you know, wife, wife, husband, husband. These days we have very unique families of all kinds. That means two parents, two kids, one of four could die of heart disease. And that's insane statistics to me. A country that, you know, supposedly has so much wealth and abundance and yet has the highest stress and maybe even suicide rate in the world, in the whole world. So when I started kind of looking at that um, situation and that reality, it really made me question how am I contributing to that situation? And what happened for me was <clears throat> I was actually, I, I call it a gift because I was very fortunate. I had um, a lot of depression and up, ups and downs emotionally when I was a kid and I felt I was very sensitive. And I remember asking my mom, you know, why am I so sensitive? And I felt like, it was hard for me to, um, to deal with things. Like I just felt like I was in burnout all the time. And I felt, I didn't know that's what it was called then, but I felt really stressed out easily. And I was doing more and more to kind of cover it up and make it look like I was okay. Mm -hmm. And when I finally accepted that the depression was not just me in a bad mood or having an attitude. It was, it was, I was really unhappy and I was starting to feel sad. And I remember the first episode was nine months. And then the second time was also nine or 10 months. And, um, this was in 2000, 2011, 2012 ish. And then, um, and then it happened again in 2000, actually 2013. It was 2013 was the first round and I was in real estate and I, I love real estate, but I found myself super, super stressed out. My clients, like every time the phone would ring, my shoulders would tense up mm. and I just felt like I had this heavy weight on my shoulders and then it came back in 2018. A lot of things happened in my life, family stuff. Um, and, and the response was similar, except more intense. And this time, that time, I started um, hearing voices in my head. And they were actually, I remember being in yoga class. This was like the defining moment. I was in yoga class and I felt like, okay, the voices are not going to. And, and when I say voices, I mean like negative talk, negative self-talk. Like you're not enough. Um, you know, you suck. You, you're, not, you're not dealing with life, you know well, um, just really, really negative things. And I remember sitting, being in yoga class and I just remember sobbing saying like, I can't believe even on my yoga mat, which is my like safe haven, this stuff is showing up. And when that happened, I was like, I need to take care of this. And I started, you know, seeking help. And I reached out to a friend who was a coach. Um, and I had started already coaching at that point. I was transitioning I was still doing real estate, but I was coaching people and, and, you know, working with emotional intelligence, emotional energy work. And I thought, you know, I can't be supporting other people if I'm not doing. And it was really um, a moment of, of looking myself in the mirror and saying, am I really willing to step into being the best version of myself? And that's when I got the help that I needed. 
And I started researching more about this concept of burnout and what takes people out and the stress and the constantly on this, you know, rat race of do more, be more. And, um, and then when you stop and question, well, why, why am I even doing that? Am I happy doing that? If I'm happy doing it, awesome, keep doing it. And if you're helping other people and you're actually getting the results you want, amen, keep doing it. But if the relationships, the friendships, the work, you know, your health is suffering, to me, that's a big indication that it's burnout. So a very long-winded answer <laughs> to, um, to the question. Well, so thank you so much for sharing that because you know, I think sometimes people have this notion that you're maybe burned out and then you kind of figure it out and then it doesn't happen anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a reminder that even when we've worked on ourselves, we may not have everything perfectly organized in such a way that it can't happen again. And um, also that there are some precursors. There's some things that maybe make it even make you even at greater risk for burnout, right? And you mentioned about your history of depression. So there were some things early on that you were struggling with. And um, now, and, and I think sometimes people actually wonder about the difference between depression and burnout. So what's your take on that? That's a great question. I feel like it is kind of all tied together. Like to me, depression, any, anything, anything really, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, anger, any emotion, all emotions are signals and they're, they're like knocks on the door. They're invitations for us to actually look at what's going on and try to unpack the emotion And this is when, you know, when I refer to it as the gift, like for me, depression was a gift that for a long time, I just shoot away. And every time that knock would come on the door, AKA depression would show up. I would just be like, okay, go away now. Like, I can't deal with you. Go away. And I would just try to put a bandaid on it. Or, you know, in my case, I didn't take medication, but I know sometimes it's necessary. So whatever it is, whether it's changing your food, I had to change, I chose to change my food habits um, and really look at the food I was eating. I changed my exercise habits. I changed a lot of my friends. I shifted my thoughts, which was really the key. Um, But I really think it's an invitation to unpack the emotions and get to understand them and make peace with them, which is really where the internal peace, you know, revolutionist thing kind of came together was, just because a person is dealing with depression or anxiety or overwhelm stress, right. For that matter, doesn't mean it's never going to show up again. Like, I think you're absolutely right. What you just said, like a lot of people assume, well, it's, it's gone now. I'm good. I'm fine. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't just go away. Like if you have a mole on your body and you have, you know, a birthmark, it doesn't go away because you don't see it. It's still there. It might just be covered up with makeup or it might be, you know, heightened if you're out in the sun and you get skin damage. Like if you, there's two, I guess there's two sides to it. One is if you ignore it, I believe it gets worse with time. And the other is 
if you learn to appreciate it and actually commune with it and make it part of part of the story, part of the experience, so to speak, then you can use it as a tool to support you, preventing a person from burnout. So like in my case, I know when it's too much mm. and I, and I do my best to step back. And, you know, we briefly spoke about that before we started today talking. And I think that's really important is knowing what's like, when, when do we know when we're full? We know because our body gives us a signal. So it's the same thing. Like how much is too much on our plate? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. So I, I do have a question about um, the early life and the depression. And I think that can kind of help us tune into the programming that may have contributed to your burnout story. But before we go there, um, you did tell us a, a little bit about the episodes of depression, um, you know, in the 2000s, but what specifically happened um, that really led you to burnout? What did you notice? What were you doing? What was going on in your life at that time? Mm. Um, I was super irritable. I remember that. I remember like, <laughs> it's so funny that we're, that you asked that specific question. Cause I was thinking about this this morning in yoga class. Um, I remember feeling like not comfortable in my own skin, mm. like feeling like I wanted to be around people. But then when I was around people, I was like, ah, I just want to be alone. And I'm an Aquarius. Like I'm very, um, Aquarians are known to be like humanitarians and very like, not, not necessarily extroverts, but like they, they like people, most of them. And I definitely, I've learned that I'm more of an ambivert, which is kind of a mix of the two. Like I like being around people, but I also need my space to recharge. And so being around people at that time and noticing that I was all of a sudden like, okay, change. it was like, it was almost like a, like <laughs> when a woman's pregnant and she wants like these weird, she has like these weird cravings of food. She doesn't understand. It was like that. Like, I was like, I want to be around people. And then as soon as people came around or in the room, I was annoyed with them. Mm. And I was like, that's not cool. Like, <laughs> you know, I invited this person over and then I'm like, okay, can you go home now? Like I'm done, you know, like, it's very inconvenient and it's rude. And I, I knew it wasn't them. I knew it was me. And so I started to spend less time with people and kind of more on my own. And, um, and there was a lot of things that I didn't like about my own personality that I think part of, for me, that was what I was afraid of, which is what I think most people, when they're in a state of, um, perpetual go, 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 go. They're, they, they don't consciously know they're afraid of something, but it's like, there's something they're afraid of actually dealing with, which is why the burnout shows up because the burnout is like, okay, enough already. Stop doing and just be. So one of the things you noticed was there was a lot of irritability and mm -hmm. you started to isolate more. You didn't want to be around other people which is yeah. maybe not how you're normally, how you normally are in the world. But tell us what was going on that even brought you to this place of burnout? Like what were you doing and what was going on in your life? W were there any sort of 
special environmental stressors or was it kind of like the cumulative effect of being a go, go, go kind of person? What would you say? Yeah, I definitely think it's cumulative. Um, I think for me personally, it was dealing with a lot of things, um, both professionally and personally, like feeling like I wanted to achieve more and feeling like I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I so what did you do? Were you like pushing yourself to work more hours as a result? Or yeah, you just I mean, like had a hard time turning work off because you're constantly thinking about what you still want to do and feeling bad that you're not doing enough or what was going on? Yeah. I mean, I remember working like 10, 12 hours a day, sometimes 16 and still feeling like there wasn't enough time. Like I would feel guilty going to sleep. Wow. Cause I felt like I didn't get everything done. And it was like, well, duh, you didn't get everything done. Like how much do you expect to get done, you know, in a day? And, and yeah, I still might work 12 or 16 hours a day now, but I do it because I enjoy it. I do it from an inspired place of creativity and I'll get downloads and I'll get, you know, information that tells me I'm in a creative zone. Let me hop on, you know, Canva, for example. And instead of having my VA do it, I'll do it because I enjoy it. Um, or I'll do extra coaching work with a client because it feels good. You know, so, but I, but I've also learned, and this is this to me, this is really, I think the biggest gift is when we can allow ourselves the opportunity to accept that burnout is not normal, nor is it sustainable way to, to live. We actually can achieve so much more. Like I don't need to work 16 hours a day anymore to achieve what I was trying to achieve back then. Because in those 16 hours a day, half of the, probably 90% of the time, I was stressed out. I was coming from a sense of not enoughness and feeling guilty and feeling like someone was going to, and that, you know, totally different podcasts and, and different topic, but I think it kind of bleeds in together. I think it has a lot to do, burnout has a lot to do with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And like this idea that, well, I have to keep up this facade because if people really see who I am, they'll know what a failure I, I am or how not good enough I am or fill in the blank, yeah. right? whatever the thing is that we're dealing with. And so I think when we finally, if, if we're lucky enough to get slapped in the face by burnout <laughs> and see it as, an, as a blessing, then we can actually use it as a resource to support us to live a more mindful life, to live a more peaceful, more productive, more profitable and efficient existence. Because who the hell wants to work 16 hours a, a day miserably? Like I get it if you're happy with it, but most of the people that I know that do that are, they're miserable. And they, they say I'm stressed, but they even sometimes tell themselves I'm, oh, I'm happy. Like they'll make up a lie in their head that they're happy. Well, if you were, show it on your face because you don't look happy. You know, like it's, and, and I'm no one to say to them, it's none of my business. If they think they're happy, they're happy. But I think for me, I, I really recognize I couldn't keep putting that. That's where the integrity piece was a big deal for me. Like I realized when I was on that map that day, 
I couldn't keep lying to myself and saying that this was okay because it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was costing me my health. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, there was something going on at that time in your life where you were trying to get a whole bunch of stuff accomplished. And so that was perhaps the change in the scenery, but what you were bringing in and the way that you were showing up that felt really like old patterns, right? Like the imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome, the I'm not good enough, the um, fear of failure. Like, where do you think all of that came from? And how do you think that may or may not have uh, perhaps linked up with your depression early on? If you think about like depression being your emotional reaction to a negative mental state, perhaps. And you said you had a lot of this negative self-talk that was happening. Um, It feels almost like there were some established schemas or core beliefs. And we know that those things get established through early life experiences. When we experience toxic stress and we interpret things to mean something about ourselves, right? And then these things kind of become ingrained and become that programming that, that drives us forward. And so one of the things we we know from what you've shared so far is that you're a doer, right? You are that, you have that go, go, go mentality. You try to get a lot of things done in an effort to feel like you've accomplished something. And then it makes you feel like, you are worthy and you can shut those voices up and tell them like, you're wrong because look at all the things that I've done. Right. But mm-hmm. where did that even come from that need to have to prove yourself and the feeling like um, what, what I'm doing isn't enough or that I'm not enough. I, I feel like a lot of it is um, not ours. Actually. I think a lot of the stuff that we carry is from our generations, you know, it could mm-hmm. be our parents, could be our grandparents, our great grandparents, Um, I personally believe in past lives. So I think a lot of that stuff comes through, you know, um, through genetically and also um, generationally is the word I was looking for generationally. So it's conditioned from, from parenting and it's not intentional. It's not like our parents wanted to hurt us. They, they They were parenting based on their belief systems that were passed down to them. Sure. So I've done a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work on breaking those patterns. Like you said, those patterns as belief systems, because a lot of those belief systems are not ours and we just get adopted into those belief systems because, and and here's a a perfect example. It's really, really simple, but I started asking myself all all kinds of belief systems, like around money and around um, health and around romance and all the stuff. But like one really simple one is, around holiday time, right? A lot of people, they'll, they'll make a ham for, you know, for example, let's say Christmas, right? And so there's like a little, almost like a little um, anecdote that the little girl asks her mom, hey, mom, why do we cut the ends of the ham mm. off when we put it in the pan? And she said, because your grandma used to do it. That's how she taught me. And then she goes one day and she asks grandma, hey, grandma, why does, you know, why do we cut the ham? And she goes, oh, because, you know, her grandmother did it. And then they go down the line and then they find out it was because the pan was too small. So it's not because there was some like ritualistic, you know, 
sentimental value in cutting the ham, the ends of the ham. It was simply that the pan was too small. And now we live in a totally different world. All you have to do is go to Walmart or, you know, Sears or something and go get a new pan or Amazon. Right. But a lot of this stuff is just passed down from generation to generation. So in my case, I remember really asking myself like, and I still do, you know, certain belief systems that I'm still, you know, they're stubborn. They're like weeds. And, you know, I'm still working to un, un uh, to pull them out because I realize they're not serving me. And, um, and just like you said, you know, with the go, 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 I was raised, not raised, but I, that's my, that's my DNA. That's my personality is that I am an A personality and I've learned that doesn't always serve me. So I get to be gentle with myself and I get to, you know, reprogram myself. And when things happen, you know, I ask myself like even yesterday, I didn't, I didn't get a response that I quote unquote wanted from someone. And then I realized the old me would have made a story about it and be like, ah, I just got rejected or, you know, I got a, a big slap in the face. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized like, no, the person just responded in the way they responded. And that's totally fine. And then when I looked back, you know, two hours later, I totally did not see the same message that I saw two hours before because I chose to make a new story about it. And that's really what life is about, is about perceiving the world, I believe, with the lens. I, I believe our innate right is to be happy and to be peaceful. And I think there is a big misconception that we're supposed to work hard yes. to get what we want. And oh I my think God. There's, there's so much that you've said that, you know, brought up ideas for me. And I think there's so much juice in there. Uh, you're talking about cultural conditioning, like the idea of doing things just because it's always been done this way. And I think there's an opportunity for each of us to really question why we do things the way that we do them. Where did that come from? And is it serving us or is there an opportunity for us to do it differently? As a matter of fact, I was just talking to some of my group members about this because they were giving all kinds of examples of how it shows up for them. Uh, one woman was talking about how, you know, we have this idea, for instance, that we need to eat three meals a day. And her daughter's mm. like, I'm not hungry when I wake up. Like, why do I have to have breakfast? And she's like, you know what? you're right. You should listen to your body rather than just eat because it's eight o'clock, right? So we have all these notions of like when you're supposed to do things and why you're supposed to do them and how you're supposed to do them and all these things. And I think that each of us would be better served if we did take more of that analytical lens and think about what is the best thing for us in this moment, because it can also change over time. And then the other thing that it brought up was this idea of intergenerational trauma. And I don't know um, if people are familiar with that concept, but you're talking about how a lot of things get passed down. So if our parents had trauma and it's unresolved, they're going to show up as parents and they're going to do the best they can, but they're going to bring forth, they're going to come from that place. And so a lot of times we end up downloading other people's programming. And 
as you said, it may not even be something that you experienced in childhood, but it might be something that you've downloaded from your parents or from other people that you were around as a child. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And the work that you're doing now to really reprogram and to create more balance in your life and then to share that work with other people is so beautiful that I want to give you an opportunity to really share um, how you have taken this work. I, you know, for people watching the video, um, Regina's got this thing in the background that talks about some of the bullet points of how you can feel if you work with her, for instance, increased feelings of peace and balance. And I know that's kind of what you usually lead with is that sense of peace. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do. And if somebody is burned out or is uh, experiencing that imposter syndrome or are in that is in that go, go, go mentality, what can you offer them? Thank you so much, Dr. Shen. This means so much. And um, yeah, I really, I really take to heart, not just what I went through, but what others are going through. And it means so much to me that people understand that they can choose a different way. And it does take work for sure. It takes a choice every day to be peaceful. (laughs) And I am not always peaceful. And that was one of my biggest kind of um, my biggest imposter syndrome fear, right? Was that how can I teach this stuff if I'm not peaceful every day? And then I realized, well, monks, are monks because they're in practice because they sit and they meditate every day. That doesn't make them less of a monk because they have a bad day or a bad afternoon. And in fact, we all have that, you know, athletes aren't winning championships every day. (laughs) They practice and they get better and they might win one year and then not the next year. So it's not about being this perfect human because none of us are. And that's, I think for me, that was the biggest, the biggest relief was understanding that I didn't have to be perfect. In fact, that's where imperfect perfection comes from. Like I had this big fear, well, what if it's not perfect? Well, it's not just deal with it, accept it. And the faster I I accepted it, the more easy life became and the more beautiful it became. And I still have stress. You know, I, everybody has stress, everybody, especially nowadays, like the world is chaotic and confusing. And I I think more than ever, we need to be more patient with ourselves. And so, you know, I practice what I teach and and I teach what I practice. And I feel very humble that I get to do that because I don't, I don't talk from a place of theory. I talk from experience and I, and I speak from, I know how people can transform because I've done it myself and I continue to do it every day. And some days I'm not choosing from a place of peace. Some days I'm very conscious that I need to be more assertive and I need to be more um, maybe vocal about something than I want to be, you know, and that's, that's where that a personality comes through to serve me. Right. If I'm a a doormat (laughs) and I'm just living in this peaceful la la meditative state and there's a bus coming, you know, a head on collision, like I need to get up and move. I can't just be sitting there and meditating, waiting for the bus to leave. Like, you know, yeah, maybe in the etheric realm and all that. But um, I think it's really important that 
people understand themselves and when they don't understand themselves, I think that's part of the burnout because we're all designed like a, like a glass. We all have a threshold. And if we don't know what our threshold is, we're going to keep piling crap on top of it and on top of it and on top of it. And then, you know, for parents, right. If your kid asks you for help, you're screaming at them because you're stressed out about a contract you have at work and the kid has nothing to do with it. The kid just happened to ask you, Hey mommy, can we go get ice cream or can you help me with my homework or daddy? Right. And, and you're over here upset because you have a contract. So it's understanding the responsibilities and the obligations that we take on. And sometimes it's really about simplifying our lives and saying no. And, or, or I've learned say not yet. Like I don't, I don't force myself to say no because there's things that I really want to do. And I realize I don't necessarily have the space or the bandwidth for it. So I'll say, you know what? I don't have space for that today. And I'd really love to do that. Can, can we revisit this in a month? And maybe in a month, the universe will align and I'll have more space in my schedule, you know, or, or maybe in a month I won't want to do it. So I think it's understanding who we are. I think it's understanding our capacity and our, our threshold, so to speak, and really allowing ourselves to be our true selves. And so if there's anything that I do for my students, my clients, I think that's the biggest thing is I show them how to have confidence in themselves and in their threshold, like not to shame that, to actually make that a virtue, you know, be really delicate and mindful about what do you accept in your life? And that includes people, that includes time, that includes projects. Like, is this fueling your passion? Is this inspiring you to be a better human? If it's not, then why is it, why is it in your life? Like, let it go, you know? And, and that's not always easy. Sometimes it's easier to say that than to do it. Well, clearly you've done a lot of work on yourself and you've shared some of your new ways of thinking about things with us already. Um, and what I love is as you're talking, how authentic you come across and how uh, you're willing to share your vulnerabilities and not be that perfect version of yourself. Allow people to see that, you know, it is an up and down kind of a game. You know, some days are better and some days are worse, but this is real. This is life. And I think that allows people to, I imagine, feel connected to you and feel like, you aren't this idol that's got it all figured out, but you're somebody who they can relate to because this is how they experience life. You're maybe just a little bit further along and can show them what you've learned. Um, and so if somebody's listening to this and they have a very similar situation to yours or how you used to be, right? They're that perfectionist. They're the doer. They've got imposter syndrome. Um, they're having that voice in their head telling them that it's it's not okay for them to go to sleep, that they should finish what they have started, that they're not good enough or whatever. Um, what tips would you have for them? What do you recommend? Thank you. Thank you so much for all of it. Um, definitely, definitely done a lot of work and I continue to. And yeah, I think the biggest thing is really for people to understand you know, who they are. Um, 
and I think I, I kind of touched on some of this, so it might be repeat, but That's okay. um, you know, to summarize, definitely accepting where we are. So if somebody's listening to this, whatever that looks like, you know, you might be dealing with anger management issues, or you might be um, happy go lucky person. There's always, I believe, room for more, more improvement, more awareness. And so accepting where we are and then really focusing on what is it that you can celebrate. So even the little wins, like, you know, what I started to do when I was on my beginning of my path was I started accepting um, the little wins as celebration. So like the times when I did go to sleep at the time I said I would, like if I gave myself a goal and I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed by 1230, I would do my best to unwind by midnight and actually get into bed by 1230. And so that was a win. You know, today going to yoga, that was a win because I've been trying to go to yoga since Monday. <laughs> and so giving myself permission to honor all the things that I was excited about. And um, I have an exercise that I do with my with my students and my clients, um, if it's okay to share it. Sure. It's, it, it seems really hard at first, but I promise if you give yourself an opportunity, you'll be amazed at the results. So if you make a list of 100 things from your life, from the day you were born that you can remember as celebrations and you write all those down. So the first five might be super easy. Like, you know, I gave someone a hug today. I said a kind word, I opened the door. Um, and then it might get a little tougher, right? As you get to 25. So you could do this over the course of a month or a week. And you can break it down. You can do five a day. So it could be I graduated from college or those that didn't graduate college. I submitted my application to college. You know, just transforming and reframing the things that we've done as celebrations. And they can be big. They can be small. You know, parents, I'm a parent. You know, you should you should be giving yourself kudos every day. (laughs) Like there are a lot of things that we take for granted. And this is exercise just allows us to really honor ourselves as the, the victors that we are. And, um, and I think that the third thing is to really align with what is it that you love doing? Like really, and this is, you know, where I feel sometimes people need the most help is aligning with what is it that inspires you? What creates that passion for you? And if it doesn't serve you and it doesn't feel good, give it to someone else, like learn how to delegate the things you don't enjoy doing that you can delegate to, right? Like sometimes people pay other people to pay their bills. You know, I'm not saying everyone should do that because sometimes it's part of the work is paying your bills, right? Understanding what's going in, what's going out, right? But understanding like, how can we live our best life? And a lot of this, I think, comes back to the the generational conditioning and the traumas that we talked about. Like a lot of this is not ours to deal with but we're conditioned to because we've always done it. So, you know, really accepting where we are to summarize, focusing on the wins and the celebrations and then delegating what you enjoy and what you don't so that you can actually accomplish more. Yeah, those are all really good tips. And I think things that can help people who are in that doing mode to really take a step back and think about, do I need to do this? Is this something that I enjoy doing? And maybe an opportunity to do less and rest more. But one of the things that I think is important to also note, especially when it comes to your second tip about 
celebrations is that I've come across people who have, when we're talking about programming, have that programming that it's not okay to, to, you know, pat yourself on the back because they were taught that that's bragging. And so they are always expecting more and more of themselves and never really allowing themselves to feel what it feels like that you've accomplished it to celebrate what you have achieved because that would be bragging. And so uh, I, I just had this conversation actually yesterday with a client of mine who is really struggling with this concept. And I said to her, you know, it really does come back down to your your belief system, right? Because um, I've got an eight-year-old at home and he doesn't have that programming that it's bragging. So very naturally, he will say, you know, if he's trying to do something and it doesn't work out and he's frustrated, he might kind of be down on himself a little bit. But when he gets it right, he's celebrating and he's like, I'm the best and I'm so smart. And like, he's so excited. And it's like, we don't want to stifle that. Right. And when we think about like an eight-year-old, we might say, oh, well, that's really cute. Right. But what if you're that eight-year-old and your parents are like, don't do that. That's not okay. You shouldn't say that. Like that's, that's wrong. Right. Then we grow up with this notion that it's not okay for us. Right. Or if we only get praised by our parents, when we accomplish something, then we've got this idea of like, that's the only way that I actually can feel valuable. And so I need to keep doing more things, but you really never get to that idea of, and now it's time to celebrate. And now it's time to take a step back and relax or, um, reward yourself for all the hard work. And I think that's part of the equation that's missing, which is why we burn out so much because we're we're never giving ourselves enough of a break. And I think it comes from some of that, this notion that it's not okay. So I love that you're reminding people to do that, to really celebrate. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you take at least one thing away from all of the wisdom that Regina has shared so far. Now, Regina, if somebody is really inspired by your message and maybe wants to follow up with you or work with you, how can they find you? Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, the, the best way, easiest way is to go to internalpeacenow.com. And <clears throat> there is actually a free quiz on my website that you can find out how stressed you are. I think that's a really important uh, first step is to identify where you are and yeah. And I, I think it's, um, it's so, it's so valuable what you said about the, the celebrations. And so for those listening, you know, feel free to count this as a win on your, on your list of a hundred because you're listening and that's a huge, huge win because if you're making an effort to learn about burnout, it means you're on the path. Yes. Thank you so, for saying that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. It's huge. <laughs> so we're going to end this episode by celebrating you, the listener, for showing up for yourself to yeah. really take some time to learn about the things that are going to help you move forward and hopefully implement some of the tips that you've heard here today. We'll have the links to 
Regina's website and to that stress quiz in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And Regina, thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Sharon. Such a, such a pleasure.